Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Show Me How Good It Gets. I'm your host, Malvika. Art critic John Berger famously said, Men look at women. Women watch themselves being looked at. I think about that quote a lot. And my favorite piece of writing that unpacks that is the memoir, Want Me, by Tracy Clark Flory. Clark Flory was a sex writer for several websites, such as Cosmopolitan, reporting on everything from pickup artists to adult entertainment conventions to the sets of porn shoots. She writes, quote, I swarmed with contradiction. I was a sex writer who sang the feminist gospel of sexual pleasure, but my personal life made me feel like an imposter, end quote. She was writing about pleasure, but rarely experiencing pleasure herself, as she was more consumed with playing out what she thought men wanted from her. She sought to substantiate herself through claiming her own sexual autonomy, but as she admits, quote, there was always a fantasy of some boy watching and wanting me, making me better, making me whole, end quote. I think that so many young women learn the hard way, by virtue of their mere existence when it comes to figuring out their sexual selves, so much of what they want stems from what they think their sexual partners want. I read the memoir Want Me during the pandemic and posted about it on TikTok. That video got 100,000 views and Tracy herself commented on it, which I thought was the coolest thing. I responded to her comment saying that I would love to interview her one day, so this moment feels very, very full circle. Also, a lot of comments on that video actually asked me to start a podcast, so I feel exceptionally lucky and grateful to be here right now and doing this. With no further ado, here is my illuminating conversation with the author. I hope you enjoy. But how has the past year been since the book has come out? I mean, it's been wild. It's totally surreal. Um, honestly, when I got to the year mark after publication, I like I couldn't believe it. Like it felt like it went by so fast. There was just like so much that was going on with like publicity and just like um, kind of incorporating it into my life. The fact that this was like out there in the world and like um, so it's been amazing, incredible. Um, it's also like in a weird way, it's been kind of hard to let go of it because it's like, it was this project that I lived with for years, really from like the book proposal to writing it, to publishing it like years long process. Um, and it's kind of hard to kind of like, like reach the end of that project and like, you know, not have that sort of obsession that's been taking over your life for years. <laughs> so I'm looking you, for the next obsession. I mean, I would love to read anything else you would write. I would gobble it. <laughs> but do you, do you like feel yourself going back and being like, oh, I wish I'd written about this or edited it this way? Or do you just kind of let it live as its separate art form? I mean, you know, honestly, like I was actually, because I have a new book idea, I was revisiting my proposal for this book. And I was like, 
rereading it and was like, oh God, it's like the proposal's terrible. Um, you know, I would change so many things about it, but I haven't gone back and read the book like now a year after publication. And I, so I don't know what that would feel like. I read it like right after publication and I actually felt really good about it. Like, which was wonderful to feel like, you know what? I did it. I did what I wanted to do. And I feel proud of this thing. Um, but that's always, I mean, always the case with writing. Like when you return to it years later, there's like, because ideally like in, in your career, you're always changing and growing. And so you, turn back to something like I often look at articles I wrote a decade ago and am like not infrequently horrified by them. <laughs> you know, like where it's like there are so many things I would change in terms of the writing style or even arguments that I would that I disagree with. Um or things like missteps that I realized that I took, that kind of thing. So probably inevitably there will be that with this book. But at this moment, I don't have that. At this moment it's like very much this like um, I don't know the like wanting wanting to do it again because I love the process so much. Like it is, it's like an altered state to be writing a book, like to be writing the proposal. And there's, it's almost like being in love. Like there's like because it's such a passion project, it does not make sense financially <laughs> to write a book. Yes, <laughs> and so it's like this. Like it's just, it feels like being in love. It 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 is that just like sort of passionate, um, altered existence. Totally. I mean, I'm about to pursue a PhD, so I totally get doing uh, something for the passion and not for the finances. Yeah, um, yeah. I completely understand that. And I think sometimes that's worth it. And I have a big belief that if you don't look back on something you did a few years ago and cringe, you're not growing. So, yeah. and it also, yeah. I think this book really exists in the current culture, right? And as culture around sex and pleasure changes, this book will be viewed differently. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that'll be a really beautiful part of it. It'll be like, a uh, moment in time. Yeah. 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 Well, that's so, I mean, it's so true with like, I think especially writing about sex and sexuality and gender, like, you know, I look back at stuff that I wrote a decade ago or even less than that. And it's remarkable to see how much stuff has changed and for the better in terms of just like this state of awareness and understanding and where I have like a critical perspective on things that I wrote um, because my sort of awareness has expanded and that's, a great thing. It's also like, you know, when things live on the internet, it's also embarrassing. Um, but it's like it, you know, to have a sort of record of your personal growth over time and also like your part in the cultural conversation as it evolved. But, um, but it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you have a lot of readers and a lot of feedback. For me, I read this at a point in my life where I was in college and in college in America, there's a huge culture of casual hookups. And for me, this was like a really crucial, pivotal moment in the way I perceived them and thought about my own relationship with sex. So I thank you. And it was huge for me in the moment of my life. Um, but I wanted to ask you, just rewinding a little bit, what made you want to write this? Because it's a very vulnerable piece, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny that you say that in terms of like what it meant to you in that particular stage of your life, because I think part of what I was writing from was this place of like in that phase of my life, not having a book like that. And like really when I was in that phase of my life, what was happening culturally was like there was a lot of commentary, um, from older women writers, um, who were essentially 
you know, it felt to me at the time, like they were criticizing the sort of behaviors and choices of young women like myself. And so it didn't feel like there was um, a really supportive, like empathetic, nuanced voice um, that I could connect to around all of these issues around sex and porn and hookups. And um, so I really felt like I was like, having to make my own way through it, um, that I didn't have that kind of supportive voice. And so like, for me, so much of it was feeling like I'd kind of journeyed through something and got to a point where I had something, something to share with, um, my younger self, you know, like the things that I wish I could have known. And of course, I think you can be handed a book like this and you still have your own journey to go on. And you still like, you still have to figure things out for yourself, but I would have so appreciated the reassurance of a book like this. And so I think that was a major motivating factor for me was like writing the book that I wish I'd had in my early and mid twenties. Yeah. And you really don't come at any of the conversation from a place of criticism, you know, even the shame and the regret and the guilt. And there's one line in particular that I'd highlighted the first time I read it. And I, written it down here. It says, there are so many ways to hurt, but I chose sex. I chose men. Right. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me more about that? Like, why do you think women do that? How do we stop doing that? Yeah. Um, that's such a big one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, um, you know, in that particular context, like in that chapter, I'm writing about, you know, the aftermath of my mom's terminal diagnosis and how I really pursued like pretty punishing sex at that time as a way to feel something, um, to feel something other than the like, you know, all consuming emotional pain that I felt. Um, and, but I think like this idea of choosing to hurt through men is something that comes as second nature, like growing up in this culture, um, because <laughs> it's just, it's just so deeply baked. Like it's something that, um, women are used to so often to generalize women are, are used to suffering, um, for beauty, suffering, um, in relationships, like women, like, so it's, it's this thing that is so deeply sort of trained. And I think in a lot of ways I resisted that growing up, but in this, um, in that moment of, you know, sort of preemptive grief, it felt like this really utterly natural way to hurt and to sort of self-destruct. Um, and because so much, I I'd been so outwardly focused on men. What do men want from me? Um, trying to become it, also just trying to understand it so that I could sort of have a sense of power and mastery over it. Um, you know, if I couldn't be everything that men wanted, at least I would understand it. And like that might bring this sense of power and control. Um, so it really was part, like just a continuation of that, really, like in a more extreme form was there were so many ways in which I contorted myself um, in the hopes of becoming what men wanted and of grasping at power, like, um, that like being desired felt like one of the most sort of compelling forms of power that was available to me. 
Yeah. I mean, I think about it in terms of like, I think so much of what I thought was power was um, control. It was because there's something that is very like controlled about um, managing how you're seen by other people. Like when you're in, in some way, like putting on a performance, like, you know, a sexual performance or romantic performance, um, you know, whether it's literally in the bedroom or whether it's, you know, on dates or in text messages with someone that you're romantically involved with, like it's when you're not showing your true self, like all of your vulnerabilities, all of your wants, like all of your feelings, when you're censoring and sort of scripting things so that you can, um, in order to be more desirable, you think, I don't think it's, it's always actually true, but like you have an idea of what men want from you and you sort of perform that there's a sense of control because you're not revealing your true self. Um, and there's no true vulnerability because like true vulnerability is showing your true self and having the potential for rejection based off of your true self. And so when you're just like orchestrating this kind of fantasy or idea of what men want, um, there's a sense of control at the same time, you are not getting what you want. You're not speaking to your like softer desires. Um, you're not speaking to the vulnerable parts of you and the, the, the things those vulnerable parts want. Um, and so, you know, uh, like that's not, so I think one of the like important distinctions for me was like the distinction between power and empowerment, like this idea of like having power over another person versus the idea of empowerment, which is something that happens collectively. Like it's not something that one person does individually on their own. So like the feminist idea of sexual empowerment was initially like collective struggle for collective gain. It wasn't about one person advancing and getting what she wanted. It was about all of us advancing so that we could all have equal opportunity. And so um, you know, I think that's like, I grew up with like in the nineties with like these very commercialized ideas of feminism that were very much about like, you go girl, like you can, you can do anything you want to do. And like very much about like the precursor to the girl boss of like, go out there or lean in, like go out there and get it on your own. Um, and that's about power and that's about control over other people. And so like to me now, like what I actually value isn't, um, power per se. It's like this idea of empowerment collectively. Um, this idea that like, you know, <laughs> until all of us are free, none of us are free, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love what you said there about performance because even outside of just the realm of sex, I find myself on a date, you know, making, making the other person laugh and like, you know, trying to be this like smart, funny, chill, cool, like this, this appearance of something. And then at the end of it, I'm like, what did I have any fun? Did I, you know, was I putting something on or was I trying to also figure out if I like this person? Yeah. Um, and sometimes you figure that out after a date and sometimes you figure that out after a full-blown relationship. Right. And, and if we keep performing, how are we ever going to figure out what we want from the other side? Right. How yeah. are we going to, because there's something about a performance where there's an audience and there's an imbalance there versus yeah. if you're just yeah. both sitting and having a real conversation. 
Right. Like there's like, yeah, it's almost like the thing that comes to mind is like performance versus play. Like when you're like playing with another person, like you're like, there's like this interactive element when you're performing, like, yeah, there is performer and audience. And I mean, it's tough because like, you know, there is legitimate like pleasure, a good feeling that can come from that kind of performance where you like, you're kind of like showing your best self or you're like, you know, um, and you're, you're seeing how the other person is perceiving you, that they're really enjoying you. Like that, that can feel really good. But when you are like, so totally in that space of performing and not like where there isn't that give and take it, there is an imbalance. I love that. I love performance versus play. I'm going to steal yeah. that because yeah. I was right before I hopped on this, I was talking to my roommate and I was, I was telling her all about you and all about the questions <laughs> I was going to ask. And she said, but is it bad? Is it bad to like the performance of it all? And she was like, I love, you know, I love that part of it. Mm-hmm. So where's, how do you strike that balance? Is it bad to like that? If that's your favorite part of sex or of a relationship, is that bad? No. Yeah. I mean, I, because, and this was the thing, like, I think throughout my twenties, I, I took a certain kind of pleasure from those interactions with men. And, um, you know, there, there can be a very legitimate, like sexy charge from that kind of thing. Like, um, that's valid. Like there's, there's, that's totally valid. I think one, it's like totally personal, um, an individual. And for me, I knew ultimately, um, I mean, one, I wasn't ready for like that more sort of vulnerable relationship or exchange until, you know, I was like in my late twenties, really, I had some exploring to do. And during that exploring, I really, um, I think all that I was ready for was that kind of performative, um, sex. Um, but, um, what was I going to say? Yeah. I mean, I think that it changes over the course of our lives. Like, um, you might find satisfaction. You might feel totally fulfilled from that kind of interaction, um, at one phase in your life. And then you later might find that you're actually wanting more. And that's, that's really what happened for me was like, it was incredibly exciting to perform and have those good feelings, um, of being wanted. And then, eventually I tired of it and felt, felt like I, there was more that I wanted from, um, even casual relationships. Um, and just like the obvious fact that I was faking orgasms, like orgasms aren't everything, you know, um, you can have wonderful sex without orgasms, but it, for me, it was a really obvious sign that there was like a piece missing from the puzzle, you know? And, um, so yeah, I think it's really important to not have any sort of judgment around that kind of performative sex. There's a lot to be said for performance in our sex lives and in romance. Like, I don't think there's um, necessarily anything off about about that. Yeah, I I think it's so funny that you mentioned the orgasms thing because another line from your book that I jotted down because I had to ask you about it was... Um, recently I started casually sleeping with Tim and told me smilingly, you come so easily, babe. The truth. I lie so easily, babe. I don't, I didn't know how to stop lying either. Like what was, when was that in your life? What changed that? Um, there's a lot of discourse about faking it right. Like out there. I don't think that's anything like special, 
but what's your take on it? And like, when did you stop if you did? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the thing again, like I have zero criticism of people who fake it because like the research shows that women often fake it to like expedite sex that's bad that's painful that they just like want to get it over with and so they're just like tired yeah they're like let's just get this over with like this 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 needs to happen before we can move on so like let me you know and so um (laughs) uh definitely i have no judgment of people who you know um turn to faking it for me um you know it just got to a point where it was really absurd where it was like you know i'm literally not having orgasms with any of these people at all. And, um, I, I know I'm capable of having orgasms and it's, so it's like, you know, there's like this disconnect from my like partnered sex life and my personal sex life on my own and knowing like sort of what my body was capable and, and, and believing that I, you know, I, and wanting to get to the point where I could like have that experience with a partner. Um, and the way that I, the way that I stopped faking, um, I mean, it was like a very weird trajectory where, um, I went to an orgasmic meditation, um, retreat to write about it and wrote a story about it. And, um, it was through that writing that story that I told, um, Tim that I had an idea for an experiment. And so it was like, I concocted this, I mean, it was a lie. It was just a lie, but I, you know, I <laughs> because he thought that I'd been having orgasms. And so I said, you know, I'm really, I like, I'm inspired by the story that I'm working on. Like, what if we do this experiment where I just, I resist the orgasm and we just like, tr- you know, um, we, we wait a little bit long because I was trying to buy myself time because I felt so much pressure especially once I, once I'd established that like, oh yeah, I I come so easily, quote unquote, as he put it. And, um, so it was like a way to kind of free myself up and that helped a little bit. Um, and then also weirdly, like it happened around this time that Dan Savage asked me to help him with like answer, um, a reader's question. And she was like a woman who was having trouble with orgasms. Mm -hmm. And I gave this woman advice and then took it for myself. And so, (laughs) and basically my advice for that woman was to like, um, to take the finish line away to like, not, um, to have sex, um, without that goal in mind to just like, um, to take the pressure off. Right. And it's like the most basic piece of advice, but it was somehow in giving this advice to someone else that I was actually able to take it for myself. And then the other thing, like I would say there was like, it was like a three part thing. The other piece was I was starting to fall in love with this guy. And I told him that I loved him. And it was like, there was like, so it was like the emotional component, the vulnerability kind of was like the last piece of the puzzle that unlocked things for me. And then once I got to that point with him, like I basically swore off faking, um, forevermore. (laughs) Like it was like, I'm never, I'm just never, like, I understood how you get yourself in this bind. Once you start faking it, it's hard to stop faking it. And so it was really at that point, um, that I just decided no more. And I've kept to that. (laughs) 
to this nice day. that's awesome <laughs> I'm so happy for you and if I'm coming off as overly friendly it's because I've like read your whole book and like <laughs> am obsessed with you and have been for a year and I think just parasocial relationships are so funny but I think so much you're talking about your sex life I'm like yeah I know this I, I know oh, this yeah. part like <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're, I know exactly who this person is yeah like I read I read that chapter <laughs> yeah um which is just hilarious I just think the internet and this is so funny um but <laughs> So Cat Person, which was a New Yorker um, short story, came out a few years ago. And recently I discovered it for the first time because I'm sure when it came out, I just, I wasn't like of college age and I wasn't reading stuff like that. And I recently discovered it and posted it on TikTok. And I was like, everyone needs to go read this. And this whole new generation of people read Cat Person for the first time. Oh, wow. And half a million people saw that video. And I got over a thousand messages about, oh my God, I do this too. I engage in casual sex, which I don't even want to be engaging in because everyone else is doing it and they think I'm hot. And then I feel like shit after. And this is a whole generation of people, right? It's not like me and a couple of friends. This is a large group of women, of young women, of young women who are engaging in casual sex, which right now is in a really precarious place because I mean, I don't even need to delve into this, but people feel like scared to ask people they're having sex with if they have other sexual partners. And there's just a lot of nuance to why this can be like really emotionally and physically dangerous. Mm. What advice would you have for people like that who are engaging in casual sex, but it's really not fulfilling for them? Oh, I mean, here's the thing that's so tricky about giving advice um, as a now 38 year old married woman um like i'm so hesitant because it's so easy to to like look back at one's 20s and be like here's what i should have done or here's what you should do and it's easy because you're not in that phase of life And, um, there's a certain level of security that I feel right now that, um, makes it easier to have recommendations. When I think back to what it actually felt like to be that 20 something who was having casual sex, who's faking orgasms, et cetera. Like I was dealing with real cultural and social forces in my life and like making the best choices that I could make for myself at that point in my life. And so it's like, when I think back to that 20 something girl, um, it's easy to think like, what if I'd done this or what if I'd done that? Um, but what I, I, what I really truly believe is that I was making the best choices for myself at that time. And those choices were necessarily in response to a fucked up world, you know? And so like those choices were imperfect because the world we live in is imperfect. And so I think anytime you're like looking at young women's choice, it's easy to critique young women's choices. It's a much more complex thing to like, and a much more important thing, like so much more important thing to critique the world that they're living in and the choices that are available to them. And so it's so like that would be like my number one, which is like a little bit like maybe dodging the question because like essentially I feel like um, you are going to be like, you know, what is best for you. And 
I think that, um, I think even like if, like if you're in that stage of your life and you have that question of like what to do, or you know that there's something about this that's not working for you, then you already know the answer. Um, you know that you, you want a way out, you know, you want to do things differently. Um, and like for me, when I was in the midst of hooking up and, you know, it felt very exciting. It also felt very limited. And it wasn't until I was ready to be done with it that I was ready to be done with it. You know, like I felt like I was getting something from it. And, um, yeah. So I think it's really like, I, I, I guess the advice is really to, um, tap into what it is that you want and to actually have like empathy for yourself around the fact that you're, um, it's not about you making the right decisions. Like, like it's really about the circumstances that you find yourself in culturally, like, and that your choices are limited. Like, I think there's so much to be said for having like a certain level of kind of tenderness and empathy for ourselves around, um, the ways that our lives are constricted and limited. Yeah. And I just think shame is so unproductive. Yeah. Right. If, if shame did things, we would all be in different places, but it yeah. doesn't. Yeah. And that's always my answer. And a lot of people write to me and they're like, how do I know if this is good or not? How do I know if this person I'm hooking up with or seeing, or, you know, whatever that is, how do I know if it's good or not? And I like to say, if it feels good after the fact, not before, but after, after you see this person and you go home, what do you feel like? Um, because I don't know if you remember Kat person, but afterwards she doesn't really feel great. And like, no. I think that's yeah. a really common feeling of after you just kind of feel icky or you feel yeah. like I, I had a lot of fun. And right. I think that's for me, at least the distinction of how I look at relationships, whether platonic or relate or romantic or whatever kind of relationship in my life. Um, yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it because like the truthfully for me, I think I actually felt great after a lot of my hookups, even though I was later able to look back at them and see the ways in which they were so limited to see the ways in which I was performing, to see the ways in which like there was so much more potential for me to have satisfaction from the experience. Um, but in the moment, like I was in this place of like, this is exciting. This is thrilling. Like, I feel like I'm learning things about myself, about other people like it. Um, and it was, it was just that there was a point at which I, that no longer was true. So I think this sort of like, how do you feel after, um, is a great like sign. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so personal to everyone and their journey and how they feel in their own body and in their own relationship. So I think that's such a tender answer. And I really yeah. like that. You feel so comforted. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, and then I also wanted to ask, like now you're in your mid to late thirties, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I'm 21 about to turn 22. So we have grown up. So our teens and our college years are in like pretty different cultural narratives. Um, and so I wanted to ask how you think that sexual empowerment narrative has shifted over the last decade or two, specifically this like really neoliberal, um, young women have sex, like this, like really in your face, narrative how do you think that's shifted and do you think it's gotten better or worse yeah um 
I mean, one of the things that's so interesting to me in the response to my book is how much it's how much it's resonating with women who are currently in their 20s. Um, and it like, I think my experience in a way, like I think like I was like a little bit like of an early adopter, like of the internet. And so like I was a little bit more like I was like watching porn when like a lot of my friends weren't. And then I think like you look a, like a generation later and it's like that what like my experience has become the norm, you know, like, um, and so I think in a lot of ways, like my experience speaks to the experience of young women today. Um, whereas if I look at like my contemporaries, like friends who are the same age, um, you know, I think like, like, you know, I was kind of like at, at the, I don't want to say at the forefront, but like, I was like, that was like the beginning of these shifts. And I think it's just like, that is so much more what I experienced and what I kind of pursued, like, is just so much more, um, so with like the current generation. And so, um, it's, it, I mean, you know, the like neoliberal feminist influences that kind of started in the nineties that were like, so such a major influence on me, um, have really only grown like in intensity where, you know, it's the, you know, lean in girl boss, like that individualistic commercialized feminism, like the, um, just like the extreme that that's gone to is so incredible. Um, and so, uh, it's really just gone in that, like it <laughs> more extremely in that direction where, um, like that narrative has just like become more and more relevant and more and more exaggerated, I think. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I'm curious to hear about like your perspective though, because you actually are of that generation and you're in that phase of your life. Like, especially because you've read my book, like, and you read my experiences, like, I'm wondering how, like, how do you feel that it's shifted? I'm so curious. Um, well, I want to tell you a video I saw trending recently, which I think paints like a really interesting picture. Um, and it was of a girl saying that every every girl should be leaving a hair tie at the person's house they're sleeping with. So we can figure out how many sexual partners <laughs> we're sleeping with have. And I saw this video and I gasped. I kid you not. Because, okay, yes, it's smart and power to the girl. But also, I was like, you realize we can just ask, right? Like, uh -huh. we can just be like, are you having sex with someone else? Like, I think it's so fair to just ask. And I think, again, I wasn't in college 10 years ago, but I think maybe 10 years ago, people were like better at asking or mm. it was more socially acceptable. And I have a take that like this whole call her daddy feminism era made it so girl, instead of girls looking quote unquote desperate, they act just as disengaged and disinterested as the guys which mm. I think makes for a much less respectful situationship or whatever you may yeah. call it. Um, so I'm really not loving where a lot of young women are going with casual sex because I think it can, I think you can engage in very respectful casual sex is the thing, right? I think sex should be caring and loving even if you're not in love with the person. It should mm -hmm. feel safe. Um, yeah. 
physically, like literally yeah. objectively, physically, you should know, you know, what yeah. they're up to. And, and not because if they're sleeping with other people, you won't sleep with them, but just so you can protect your body in the right ways. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I don't want it to go to a really dangerous place of girls feeling like they have to be the coolest, chillest girl if they want something else. And of course, if you want to engage in casual sex, I think that's awesome. But if you're looking for a relationship, um, being completely disrespected in casual sex just doesn't seem like a move to me. Yes. Um, so <laughs> yes. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but this is these are all my thoughts in my brain. I mean, that's so interesting because when you you said something earlier about it was like something about people feeling like they couldn't ask. It was like specifically about the asking about other partners thing, and I thought that was really um interesting because i do feel like and this is anecdotal but i do feel like when i was in my 20s um i feel like it was pretty normal to to be like okay let's talk about like you know safe sex practices like are you sleeping with other people like are we are we using condoms but maybe i mean i don't know i think there i, I think there was like there was that push to be the cool girl and to not care. And I just wonder, like, has that just only gotten more intense? Like the way that you're describing it, um, it does sound like a more exaggerated version. (laughs) I get this question once a week. I'm not joking. Like, how do I ask the person I'm having sex with if they're seeing other people? And my answer is always ask if, Hey, are you seeing other people? that's always my because I don't think that is something you need to be around the bush for yeah and it it, that doesn't it also doesn't mean that you're looking to get married to this person and I think girls are sometimes so scared of oh my god he's gonna think I'm obsessed with him Mm -hmm. and it's like no you can reframe that as you're obsessed with your own health (laughs) and that's what you need to know this is my personal mission that's very passionate about this yeah it's a good way to reframe it I mean yeah it is really it is really sad that like that narrative is just so much alive. The like, the like women being afraid of seeming obsessed with him. Like, you know, I'm like, yeah, that was exactly what it was like for me too. It was the like, not wanting to seem over eager, not wanting to seem crazy, like not, you know, all these sexist ideas that are just like so built in to relationships and to navigating relationships, like the constant pushing against, um, pushing against that and like having to tamp down your actual, your actual feelings and your actual experience. Yeah. Oh my God. I talk about this so much. I'm sure everyone's like sick of it now. Cause <laughs> I, this is my personal mission. I want the next generation this to be completely gone. Like the whole concept of cool and chill. I want yeah. it gone. Um, yeah. but you mentioned in the previous question, you mentioned that you started watching porn at a younger age, right? So how do you think that impacted your relationship with either sex or your body? Um, and how has your relationship with your body also changed? Uh, those are two very separate questions, but. Yeah. yeah, both great questions. I mean, the porn question is super complicated because, um, you know, porn, porn was one input for me in terms of like, the explicit, like, um, it felt like an explicit guide to what sex itself looked like. I think it's also really important to highlight like how foundational 
non-explicit pop culture was for me too, though. Like, I think some of like my deepest, unfortunately and tragically, like some of my deepest um, influences were like MTV spring break specials. Like it was like, you know, wet t-shirt contests and like that kind of thing um, where it wasn't explicit. It wasn't sex itself, but it was like communicating something very effectively to me about the way that these things went in general. It was like communicating stuff about power dynamics, everything. And so yeah, I think it's really important to like note that like that was like the first influence. And then like I brought that into watching porn, which like showed what happened, you know, when clothes came off. And so, you know, I really believed that porn represented good sex, like that this was hot sex. This was, and really I, I, what I meant was like, this was what men want, straight men want from sex. Um, and so I looked to it as a guide. I tried to essentially reprodu reproduce what I saw on screen. Um, and I also like really turned to it as like, initially I looked to it as like a form of research, like that I was like, um, that I was like investigating men by watching porn. But I realized this was also like an excuse for me to watch porn myself. And research actually shows that this is like one of the most common um, things that women say when they talk about watching porn, that they're doing it for research. Um, and, you know, the truth was like, I was also enjoying watching it. But like, you know, I think it's, it was easier for me to say that I was doing it in order to figure out how to please men. Right. Um, and so there was the negative impact, which was like this kind of like it informed a certain kind of performative sex in my life. The positive impact was that like, as I was, you know, quote unquote, investigating men, I, I <laughs> came to discover my own desires. You know, I, I, it became very obvious that like, actually I'm enjoying this material. And I actually went beyond just looking at the videos that I thought were representative of what straight men wanted from me and went on to the videos, like the, the special, you know, idiosyncratic niches that like actually spoke to me and that I started to develop the like new ideas about what turned me on and what my desires were. And, um, like this might sound like an overstatement, but I feel that that was life changing for me. It exposed me to sort of like the potential of my body and of my mind um, in a way that I, you know, I maybe I would have gotten there eventually, but I don't know that I would have gotten there so soon. And so for me, um, you know, I'm like grateful to porn for that. And I also had, there's the other piece of it, which is like the way that I misinterpreted what porn is, which is fantasy material. It's not a, like <laughs> a representation of what um, pleasurable sex is or looks like. And that was really communicated clearly to me when I started reporting on porn as a journalist and went behind the scenes on porn sets and actually watched how porn is made. And saw the ways that, like, saw everything that you don't see on screen. Like, everything that is cut out, that's, like, left on the cutting room floor. It's, like, the calls for cut, the, like, pausing to ask for lube because things are uncomfortable. The, like, rearranging body parts. The, like, 
you know, laughter between co-stars and goofing around between co-stars in between scenes. It was like all of like everything that went into creating this like seamless fantasy on the screen. And that was like enormous, like this, that was a huge part of my education was just like seeing the behind the scenes of how the fantasy is created. Anyways, I could talk about porn for like (laughs) forever. That could be a whole separate episode. (laughs) Um, but like to the question about, I think the other question was like about, um, how's my body body change? Yeah. I mean, how has my relationship to my body changed? I mean, I feel like the most significant, um, change to my relationship to my body came through pregnancy. And because I mean, like <laughs> pregnancy in a weird way, it's like the second puberty where like your body, like, and your is just going through all of these crazy changes. And you're like, you like look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, what is even happening? Like what's going on? And it's, um, and I was just like filled with awe. Like it was incredible and fast. Like I was obsessed with my body during that period because it was just, it felt amazing, um, you know, to go through these, to, ha- to feel like there are these like biological marching orders that your, your body is following and that you're not really, you're not actively doing anything. It's just happening. And, um, so pregnancy brought me into my body in a way that I'd never been in my body before. Um, and I don't think like, there's no kind of going back from that experience. Like, um, and this isn't the experience across the board. Like for some people, like pregnancy is horrifying. (laughs) Like it's not a a pleasant experience, but for me, it was like, I, it connected me to a body, my body in a way that, um, I'd never experienced before it. Um, um, And like, of course I think like, you know, after giving birth, there are the changes like, and even just aging, like there are changes that happen to your body that like, where, I mean, talking about like desirability and like wanting to be wanted, there's like, really what I experienced was this feeling of like becoming irrelevant, like, like that I'd like somehow like stepped out of that phase of my life where I was like this young, desirable thing. And like, I was just like a mom, (laughs) you know, with like, like right after giving birth with like, you know, stretch marks and like saggy boobs and like, you know, I like it, the funny thing is I feel like we're told that we should like be so horrified about those changes, but the actual experience of it for me was like so freeing. It was like this feeling of like, fuck it. <laughs> like I'm, I'm over all of that. I don't care anymore. You know, like irrelevance is freedom. Like bring it on. <laughs> God, I love that. That's such a good note to end on. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with you. I think I could talk to you for hours, um, <laughs> but I want to be very respectful of your time. So this I will is... say farewell, but oh, I love this. I, I, this was like the best conversation. It's so nice. And it's like, so nice, so nice to talk to someone who is in that phase of their life and to like, hear a little bit about like how things are changing and how they're not changing and all of that. So thank you. This has been really nice. Thank you, Tracy. I cannot tell the listeners enough you need to read this book and whatever your next book is i will gobble that up too and that's a wrap thank you guys for hanging out with me and listening to this week's episode if you want more 
follow at show me how good it gets podcast i read all the dms i get on there and then my personal instagram account is at malvika bot and my tiktok is at maltalks if you're listening on spotify please leave us a rating preferably a five-star rating and if you're listening on apple podcasts i hope you can write us a fun little review and write us there as well once again thank you guys for hanging out see you next week Bye bye Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.